So, of course, this being the Christmas season, you know, every pastor in the world is like, okay, how do we talk about Christmas in a way that hasn't been done 9,000 times? And everybody goes, okay, here we go. But you know what? We don't need to reinvent the wheel because this is literally the greatest story ever told. I mean, this is, this is one of the most amazing, the most amazing thing that ever happened in all of creation, and we own it. Now think about that. We have the story. As Christians, we are the ones entrusted with telling the world the greatest story that they will ever, ever hear. And it's the most important. It's not just that it's the greatest story. It's the most important story. Because this is what God has done to bring us back to him. And so if, if you were going to do something throughout all of history, okay, like you had a plan, because this is what God did. He had a plan going all the way back to creation. When Adam and Eve fell, the plan was set into place. It was already there, and things were moving forward towards it. And so he hinted all along as to what was going to happen. He sent prophets to speak partial truths of the coming kingdom. He sent kings who revealed part of the nature of the kingdom of God. He sent people to, to walk in faith to reveal that faith was going to be one of the key elements. He had repeating themes throughout the Old Testament so that when the major events happened, we would recognize them. And one of those repeating themes was God causing women who could not have children to have children. We, we see it through, throughout. And, and where did this begin? With Abraham... And Sarah, right? When she was 80 years old, he says, you're going to have a child. And they laugh. They say, don't you kind of understand stuff, God? I'm kind of too old. And he says, and you're going to name him Laughter. Because next year when I come back, you're going to have a child. And that theme continues throughout the Old Testament. That every time you see that there was this, this woman who couldn't have children... God was about to step in and make this happen. And why did he have this theme continue? Because he was going to give, as, as Dan was talking about, he was going to give the greatest miracle of all in this arena. And he prophesied it in Isaiah 7.14 and said, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Now I want you to think for the enormity of just a moment of what that prophecy was telling us. It said God is going to do something that doesn't fit. Not only does it not fit, it's actually a ridiculous prediction. It doesn't fit in science, it doesn't fit in nature, it doesn't fit anything that we say. He... The, the, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and that son is going to be who? God. Now, I don't know about you. I'm, I may have met a few people in my life that thought they were God. They kind of acted like they were God, but they weren't. But this, Isaiah said, will actually 
be God. When this happens, it's going to happen at such a level that the virgin is going to give birth to a child, and that child will be God. Now, that's a pretty miraculous claim. And if it happened in your lifetime, and you recognized it, how would you tell people about it? How would you explain God with us? Because, you, you know, you would see people and you'd be like, hey, you know, all the people you've ever met, that one guy, that guy right there is God. <laughs> yeah. Sure he is. No, I'm telling you, he really is. And you've got to watch him. You've got to watch what he does. And you've got to listen to his words. And you've got to pay attention because he's not like everybody else. And to those who have ears to hear, they look at him and they listen and they watch. And they go, well, wait a minute. I think you're on to something. But those who don't want to see and aren't looking for the fulfillment of the prophecies and they aren't looking for God in this world, they miss it. And so if you had to tell somebody as an eyewitness to Jesus Christ who he was, how would you do it? That would, that would be quite the challenge, wouldn't it? I mean, the, the, the Apostle John said there are so many miracles that, you know, I, I suppose all the books in the world couldn't contain it. So it's not just a matter of talking about what he did. We, we actually have to get into who he is in his nature and at the core of his being. And so I want us to look this morning at how John described Jesus. Because when John starts his gospel, John chapter 1, he doesn't start with a, a, a genealogy. He doesn't start with, oh, by the way, you know, I met this guy while I was fishing with my, my brother. I, he doesn't talk about kind of the normal human things. He wants to raise the discussion to a level that it, it kind of goes somewhere and stays there. He gives you a filter through which he wants you to read the entire gospel account and he doesn't start anywhere small. He starts at the highest possible point that he can and says, now I want you to read everything with this in mind. And, and that's what he starts with, what we call the Word of God. Now when I say the Word of God in this instance, I don't mean this book. Okay? In, in John's eyes right here, we're talking about not the Scriptures, but the Logos, the Word, the reason of God, the expression of God in this world. And so I want you to, to read along with me, if you have your Bible, John chapter 1. But I want you to really get a feel for what he's saying. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. 
But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, He has made him known. Now, if that doesn't give you chills, if if that doesn't make something rise up inside of you and go, well, wait a minute. That may be the most theologically important passage in all of Scripture. And, And I'm not exaggerating. John starts his gospel in a place where he says, I need you to understand something so important that I'm going to abandon trying to explain it in, in, in human terms. I just have to get here. I need you to understand one thing, and that is what? Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He, he, he explains it like every way I think he could think to do it. Now, he's inspired, and of course, God was in control of what he's writing, you know, inspiring his words, but you know he's thinking in his mind... This is later on, okay? John wrote the the Gospel of John much later in life, okay? You had Matthew, Mark, and Luke that were written pretty quickly after Jesus' death, and then John has had time to think about it. John has been thinking and, and reminiscing and thinking about everything that Jesus did, and he knows about Matthew, Mark, and Luke's accounts, and he knows Peter, he knows everybody, and he's been thinking, and he's thinking, and he finally gets to this point, I think he's like, I need people to understand one clear thing about Jesus. And that is that he is God. He is the fulfillment of the prophecy that was made by Isaiah that Emmanuel would be here. God would be with us. And as strange as that sounds, to say a man walking the earth who was born a helpless child was in fact God... We still have to believe it. And that's, John just starts, and he starts with this language, that he's like, look, he was the word. And what does he mean by the word? That's a strange, I've never described another human being as being the word. Why would John do this? Well, he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In the Greek, this is the word logos. And it can just mean word, but it can also mean expression. It can mean uh, an accounting of. And so what he's trying to tell us is that if you want to see God, if you want to understand God, if you want to experience God, if you want to know anything about God, you have to look to the expression of God that is the word that is Jesus. You are not going to learn anything about God that is true 
that does not lead you to Jesus Christ. Now think about that. Every truth we learn about God, whether it's in nature, whether it's through the scriptures, whether it's through praise, whether it's through fellowship, ultimately that truth leads us to Jesus. Every single time. And so that's why John started out and he says, look, in the beginning there was the word. God was expressing himself. In the beginning of what? In the source. In the beginning of creation. He's not talking about the beginning of God. He's not talking about the beginning of Jesus. He's talking about the beginning of creation. Now where do we know those words from? In the beginning. From Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John starts with those words on purpose, knowing Everybody in their mind at that time would go to, oh, in the beginning. They, they think they know what he's going to say. You ever had somebody do that? Like they start quoting something like, oh, I know the rest of this, and then they change it. That's exactly what John did. He says, I want everybody's mind to go to one place. In the beginning, God. I want him to go there, and now I'm going to reveal the truth that is unbelievable to him. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This may be the single greatest claim that any author has ever made at the begin for the first words of their book. It's an amazing thing. And when he says in the beginning, in the Greek right there, there is a word called arche, which literally has a meaning of kind of origin. So he's saying that the origin of the universe comes from where? From Jesus. In the, the, the beginning, in the, the origin of all things, was the Word. Was Jesus Christ. And, and so, there's, there's kind of a theological phrase that, that I learned that's important for us to understand, is that there was never a time when He was not. Meaning Jesus is not a created being. He was the pre-existent, eternal Son of God, just as God has always existed as the great I Am, so the Son of God is also the pre-existent God who was not created. See, I've heard people try to explain before that, that in John 1 it talks about the creation of the Son, and that's not what he's saying. He's saying the Son has always been. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Trinitarian theology, I know it's complex, but he's saying that the Son has always existed. He was not created. There was never a time when he was not. And so when we read and we talk about Jesus, we're not just talking about a first century Jew who changed the world. We're talking about God who stepped out of heaven and became a man for our benefit. Now think about what that means. God, pre-existent, holy, perfect, all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, everything you want, all, everything. And he takes the benefits of being omniscient 
and he sets it aside. He takes the benefits of being omnipotent, of being all-powerful, and sets it aside. He takes the benefit of being omnipresent, of being everywhere at once, and chooses to live in space and time in a frail human body when he didn't have to. See, we aren't just talking about one of history's influential people. We're talking about the creator of the universe. And John even says that. He goes straight into verse 2. He says, he was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made through him. All things. See, they agreed. All things were made through him. And so when he comes on the scene and he starts teaching and he starts interacting with people, don't you think that it's probably going to be somewhat unique? You think he's going to have a perspective that's a little different than everybody else's when he's like, yeah, I understand. I know exactly what's going on in the world. I know who I am. I am, I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah, the Chosen One, the Anointed One who is God in the flesh. And so this is why so many people missed his teachings. And they did. I mean, they were offended by it. I mean, let's just be honest. How many of us would be offended if somebody walks up and says things that lead you to believe they believe they're the Son of God, that they are, in fact, God in the flesh? Our human mind is going to look at him and say, sure. Sure you are. And yet, what did he do? He performed miracle after miracle after miracle to show that he was not bound by the same things that we are bound by. And he taught people things that they scoffed at, and they even tried to kill him for saying it. Listen to what he said in John 8, 56 through 59. It says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I am. He used the divine name and referred to himself. Now, what did they do? So they picked up stones to throw at him. They literally wanted to kill him after saying that because they thought he had committed blasphemy. These are the things that John picked out as he's telling his story when he says, look, the word was God, and I'm going to point you to stories that prove it over and over and over. You see, it's almost like John picked what one thing does he really want people to understand? What one thing does he really want them to, to see? Because, you know, if you are telling someone about Jesus and you have one opportunity, what is it that you want them to know? Do you want them to know he loves them? Do you want them to know they can be forgiven? Do you want them to know that, that he was wise? Do you want them to know that, that more books have been written about him than anyone else in history? What do you want to tell them about Jesus in your one opportunity? John said, I know. I'll tell him he's God. That'll... That'll, that'll be the hook that'll get them. I will tell them that he is God who stepped out of heaven and came here for them. And he wrote his entire gospel based on that. You see, John listened to these conversations. He saw the miracles. He saw the crucifixion. And he was one of the first to see the empty tomb. He ran into the tomb. 
or he looked at it. He outran Peter, and then Peter went in there. And, and John is there, and he looks at the empty tomb. He saw all of this. And so the Spirit leads him to open his stories with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Because he wants people to know who Jesus is. Because when we know who he is, his message makes sense. It it really does. When we understand who the messenger is, then the message suddenly becomes clear. When God himself is standing before people and he says, hey, you should believe in me. If you believe in me, then you have life. Well, that seems really strange coming from a regular person, but when you understand that he's the son of God, that he is the God who stepped out of heaven and became a man, you get that this is an invitation. This isn't some tall claim. This is him simply proclaiming the truth of who he is and what it means to believe in him. You see, listen to the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, get this, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Now, how can you have the exact imprint of someone's nature if you aren't that person? He is God. And he upholds... Somebody say those words. What what does he uphold? Any of y'all able to do that? He doesn't just say the church. He doesn't say the truth. He upholds the universe by the word of his power, simply by speaking. This is how he's describing Jesus, the author of Hebrews. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He upholds the universe by his word. It kind of makes this statement in John 10.30 make a little bit more sense, doesn't it? When Jesus simply said, I and the Father are one. You see, the disciples didn't understand that. They were asking him at the time. They're like, hey, just show us the Father and we'll, understand, we'll believe. And he looks at him and he says, if you look at me, you've seen the Father. And they're like, just show us God. And he says, if you've looked at me, you've seen God. And this was not him trying to avoid questions or be confusing or, or, you know, being enigmatic with his answers. He's telling them the absolute truth. You look at Jesus, you see God. You hear Jesus' words, you hear God's words. You experience the love of Jesus, you experience the love of God. You experience the discipline of Jesus, you experience the discipline of God. Because Jesus is the exact imprint of his nature he is the radiance of god's glory now what that means when he says the radiance of god's glory is that the sun out in space puts out sunlight right there's a difference there's a qualitative difference we have lights in here but we all know it when we step outside into the sunlight don't we because sunlight is unique because the sun radiates sunlight god radiates god 
And that's all he can radiate. And it says the Son of God is the radiance of God's glory. You want to see God's glory? You look to the Son. That's it. There is nowhere else that you are going to understand and know God as well as you will by looking at Jesus. Now, I say all that because once we start to understand the messenger, the message becomes clear. And so, listen, what John is telling us is that Jesus is God's agent, okay? He is his agent in creation, in revelation, in salvation, and in glory. And when I say his agent, I'm saying he's the one who does the things God wants to do. When God turns to someone to accomplish something, he turned to the Son and said, the Son, create. And it was through the Son that the world was created. He revealed God through his teaching, through his life, and, and everything that he revealed pointed back to God. And, and so think about this. In verse 3, he says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He's saying every, we owe our entire existence to the Son. He is his agent in Revelation. This verse is so important. Listen to verse 18. It says, No one has ever seen God. Now, I know people will say, well, I saw God high and lifted up. What he's telling us, because Isaiah 6 says that. He says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and I saw a vision of the temple. Every vision that somebody had in the Old Testament of God was incomplete. It was not the fullness of God. And in fact, we know that humans couldn't see that because Moses said, I want to see you, God. And he says, you can't. If you do, you'll die. And he says, but I really want you. He says, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock. I'll pass by. And the glory that remains, you can see that. The radiance of his glory, you can see that. That was a prophecy of Jesus. That Jesus fulfills that, that, that radiance that God emits that we can see, that we can understand, that we can experience in this life. That is Jesus. And so he says, no one has ever seen God, the only God. And then what he says, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. He just said, the one who is seated at the Father's side is God and has made God known. The single greatest revelation of God is found only in Jesus Christ. And I mean that across the board. We can go out and we can look at the stars and we can look at creation and we can be in awe and we can even learn some truth from it. Like, wow, look at that. God must be extremely powerful. God must be amazing to, to be able to create what he has created. But it will not compare to the revelation we will get through Jesus Christ. And in fact, if we understand that revelation, if we look at creation and say, wow, there must be a God and we understand it properly, it leads us directly to Jesus every single time because Jesus is God's agent in revelation. He is the one who reveals God. In fact, where does our Bible end? What book? What is the full title of that book, somebody? The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And we read in that book that, again, John, who walked with him, who knew him, who hugged him, who experienced the love of God through him, 
We read at the Last Supper, he's leaning against him, against his chest. He's that close with him. Who said he was the Word and the Word was with God. We read all of that. And then John sees his vision of Jesus glorified as the Almighty God in heaven. And what happens? He passes out from fear. John, who knew him, maybe the best, sees him glorified in heaven, and it says, I became as a dead man at his feet. <laughs> he thought he knew Jesus until Jesus revealed the full truth about himself. And he literally passes out from fear. Now, it says that he touched his shoulder and says, be not afraid, and he brings him back to life. And it's like, no, you've you got to write all this down. You can't do that if you passed out. So wake up. I got a lot of scary stuff I need to show you, <laughs> but it's okay because I'm here. Jesus is the, the fullest and greatest revelation of God. If you want to know about God, read the gospel accounts and pay attention to Jesus. Pay attention to his words. Pay attention to his actions. Piece it together with the truth that we know through other scriptures, and you will get the best image of God that you can possibly get. Because it is located in the person of Jesus. But here's the great truth of this. Jesus didn't just come to say, I'm God, and to reveal God. He actually came to save. He came with a mission. He was God's agent in salvation. In verses 12 and 13 of chapter 1, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, his trip into our world was not just so that he could say, look, this is who I am. He came with a mission, and he says it was to seek and to save the lost. He came to save you and me. If that doesn't make you feel special this Christmas, you haven't thought about it deeply enough. The God of heaven stepped out of heaven and chose to live as a despised human being who was weak, who was, who was made fun of, who was betrayed, who was beaten, who, who was crucified so that you could be with him. And again, the book of Hebrews says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Because he said, you were worth it. And then he's God's agent in glory. It says, and the word became flesh, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now this is John's way of saying that what I experienced with Jesus, nobody else on earth has ever done. What I experienced with him was so unique that I can only ascribe it to him being God. That's it. I can't explain it any other way. Now many of you know what I'm talking about with that. If I were to ask you, explain your relationship to Jesus Christ. Some of you are going to get excited. Some of you are going to start crying. 
Some of you are going to go into this intellectual mode where you're going to start to try to explain down to the finest detail everything that you can to express this truth because what in the end you're trying to do is exactly what John was trying to do right here that he says, look, the Word became flesh and we saw His glory and it's unique. It is the glory as of the only Son of God. Full of grace and truth. You, you'll find that you'll have a hard time expressing all of it, but you will be motivated to do so, won't you? Because when you start talking about the God who saved you, who changed your heart, who gave you new life, something comes to life inside of you. And you want to let people know that Jesus is in fact unique. He did something for you that no one else could. That's what John was saying. And so in the end, one of the things that we, we come to understand is that Jesus fulfills the mission of God. He completely fulfills everything that God wanted to happen, okay? Everything that happened before Jesus in all of history was merely setting the stage for his arrival in Bethlehem. Did you know that? Everything that happened in history we're not just talking biblical history. Biblical history gives us the ability to understand history. We can look and see how God brings empires and then he takes down empires. And he moves to the next empire and he uses them for his purposes and then they cease to be an empire. And yet God's purposes continue unabated through all of history. And there's something amazing that even secular historians look at and understand is that all the world, for, for, for whatever reason, in different ways, political, everything, became focused on this small little area called Israel in world history at that moment. Everything just kind of centered in right there. There was peace for the first time in, in a long, like ever in history, there was what was called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. There was no war going on in that moment. It didn't mean bad things weren't happening, but it, that Rome had made these roads. There was a unified line. There was a whole lot that happened that made everything center right there. Why? Because all of history was pointing to this one moment. All of history. Egypt had come and gone as an empire with Moses because it was leading to this one moment. Alexander the Great had come and gone because it was leading to this one moment. All of history had been under the control of God. And so everything was revealing things about God all along the way. And you had kings like David and Solomon with their, their glory and their kingdoms that they created. And they, they pointed it to God and said, it's not about us, it's about him. It's about the coming one. Now those kingdoms, of course, failed. But they revealed truth along the way. So that by the time we get to Jesus, when he is grown and he starts to preach, he says something amazing. He says in Matthew 4.17, 4, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, what he's saying is that previews are over. It's showtime. Now the story begins. And who does it begin with? Jesus Christ. Where does it begin? Wherever he is. Because he is the central character of all of this. 
and in fact, Paul comes along and he understands who Jesus is. He comes to understand that he's God, and he describes things a little differently. He says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, he says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Because every promise that God ever made, everything that God was ever going to do or is going to do, or everything he has done, everything found its fulfillment in Jesus. Every promise was fulfilled in Jesus. And those promises that are yet to be fulfilled, guess when they're going to be fulfilled? In Jesus when he returns. He is the location and the fulfillment of everything God. By his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his coming return, Jesus alone fulfills all the promises of God. And so this is what Paul tells us. He says that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God. See, that's why we attach ourselves to him by faith because he is the source of everything that God wants to give us. We can't find it anywhere else. You will not find the spirit of God, the power of God, the love of God, the righteousness of God, the justice of God, the peace of God. Nothing from God is available apart from Jesus Christ. Now, his reign in this world, he cares for the just and the unjust alike. His, he does love everybody, but if you want to really know the love of God and have that power active in your life, you have to go through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. So, you want to know God's love? You have to go through Jesus. Want to know God's wisdom? You've got to go through Jesus. You want God's peace? Go through Jesus. God's power? Jesus. You want God's forgiveness? Jesus. His strength? Jesus. You want God's presence in your life? Go to Jesus. Because all the promises of God find their yes in Him. Now, here's the good news of that. That gets us off the hook. That means I don't have to live up to a standard to impress God so that he'll open the door and say, okay, now you're worthy. That means I get to go to him and I can go to Jesus at any time and say, I need, I believe in you. And, and God says, yes, you, you believe in Jesus Christ, you're saved. Yes, all of this is available to you through him. You put your faith in him, I will take care of the rest. And so understanding that, I want you to think about what Jesus said in John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, he's not, he's not trying to, to be divisive in this. He's saying, you want to know God? You've got to come to me. You know why? Because he is God. He's the only one that can reveal God in that way. He is the only one who can provide what God wants you to have. There is no other way. It's why Paul says it is by grace you are saved through faith. Because it is faith and belief in Jesus Christ and believing in him that all the promises of God are made available to you. Think also 
of what Jesus said in John 8, 28. It says, so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. You hear Jesus, you hear God. You experience Jesus, you experience what God wants you to experience. You believe in Jesus, you believe in God. You see, Jesus ran into this. And there are people who want to say, well, I believe in God, but I, you know, I think there are many paths to God. No, you don't believe in God. You believe in an idol that is a figment of your own imagination. Because Jesus said, if you believed in him, you'd believe in me. And that is an all-time statement. If you truly believe in God, you will believe in Jesus. Because you cannot separate the two because they're the same. And if your heart is set on the truth of God, you will find that truth only in Jesus. And so what does all this mean as we talk about it today? It means that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are connecting yourself to the person, power, presence and the purposes of God the creator of the universe you are connecting yourself to the source of all life all power and all hope it means you are rejoining your soul and spirit to the one who created them it means you are literally fulfilling your purpose for existence which is to be in relationship with God. Jesus is how we do that. There is no one else, nowhere else, no other way to God than through Jesus Christ. And so this year, when people ask what Christmas is all about, can say it is about celebrating that the Word became flesh. We are celebrating that the word became flesh and God is with us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for today. And God, I pray that, God, you expand our understanding. Raise our understanding of who you are, Lord Jesus. That we wouldn't be satisfied with anything less than, than the heart knowledge that you are God that you are the word become flesh and that you have been exalted and given the name that is above all names so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, I pray that, Lord, as we celebrate this year in Christmas, that, God, we give gifts with a cheerful heart because we know that we have received the greatest gift ever given and that is you. Father, we pray for our world right now, our country. We pray that you are lifted up everywhere. That men and women would raise holy hands and praise you. That we would worship you. Lord Jesus, you said when you are lifted up, you will draw all men to yourself. And so, God, we pray that we lift you up in our homes, that we lift you up in our work, we lift you up in our hearts and our minds and our families. That you be lifted up in every way so that people are drawn to you. 
Father, thank you for the gift of salvation that you have given us. Thank you for for fulfilling what we could not, for doing what we could not, and giving your life for us. And Father, as we take this time now to remember you through this Lord's Supper, God, we pray that you were glorified, that we, we remember the body, that we are connected to each other. That this is about my love for you and my love for my neighbor. That we cannot separate the two. Father, may we take this Lord's Supper in a manner worthy, remembering the sacrifice you made for us. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray together. Amen.